You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, church. My name is David Terry. I'm part of the Forbes Community Group. Uh, This morning, we're going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things to him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except, for, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help, my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts, <clears throat> the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Lord of our Father will stand forever. Amen, amen. Thank you, David. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name's Tanner House. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. If you take a minute and fill out a Connect card, you can find one of those on the hospitality table on the way out, or you can scan a QR code. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you, to serve you, and to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a a Bible, you can raise your hand. Uh, my son Levi will bring you one. If you're on your phone, we use the ESV. So we're at the end of Philippians, and one of my favorite parts of being a pastor is hearing Christians, especially Christians in the church where I pastor, rightly apply the scriptures to their circumstances. One of my least favorite parts of being a pastor is hearing scripture taken out of context. So, Today's text contains one of those verses that is so often quoted and yet so often misquoted and applied. When I was in my teens, I watched a lot of college basketball because there was not a lot else going on at Hobbs. Uh, there were a few guys from my hometown that were playing Division I basketball, so we'd gather around our TVs and watch our local sports heroes just ball it up on the national stage. During that time, uh, Duke University was on TV a lot because in the early aughts, or the early 2000s, Duke was elite, and they had an elite player by the name of J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick still holds two records. He holds the record for career free throw percentage at like 92.5%, and he holds the single, record, uh, single season record for free throw percentage at just above 95%. He shot so many free throws in his career, because he 
was a four-year starter at Duke, and he made pretty much every free throw he ever took. And there was a story about him that was on the news, uh, one of the sports uh, news channels, that he said that every time he'd step up to the line, he'd put his left foot in, and he'd say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then he'd bring his right foot forward, and he'd shoot a free throw, and he'd make it. Um, if this story is true about J.J. Redick, I don't know. Uh, I also know that that verse, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, is true. But I also know that when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he wasn't talking about sports, most likely. Paul was talking about contentment. And so today, I just want to dive into what godly contentment looks like. And just as a preface, uh, church, there's going to be a part where we're going to talk about your finances. Uh, and in my experience, the two most difficult things to talk to you all about are the way you parent your kids and the way you handle your money. Uh, so the reasons I think that this is probably true is because you idolize your kids and you idolize yourself. So when you idolize yourself, that gets revealed in how you use your money to fund the worship of yourself. So anyways, with that as our backdrop, just know that I love you and there are going to be some things that you don't necessarily want to hear, but that we all probably need to hear. So let's pray and we're, we're going to dive in. Lord, I pray in the spirit of Philippians that you would bring a lot of unity around this room. Lord, that the content of the text today would not lead to division, but it would lead to unity and peace. Lord, I pray that you would use the scriptures just to reveal to us um, our neediness, our need for you, our need for grace, and our need for trust. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And amen. All right, I'm actually going to start at the end uh, in verse 21 of chapter 4. And I'm not sure that this is on the screen, but we're going to just take a brief flyover of these three verses. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. This is essentially Paul signing off. This is, you know, if, I know it's 2023 and we don't pass notes anymore, but if you were to write a letter and send it in the mail, sincerely, Tanner, yours truly, Aaron. You, this is what Paul is saying, except in this time period, it's flipped around. So his signature is at the front and his greeting is at the end. Uh, he's saying, greet every saint. That's greet every Christian at the church in Philippi on my behalf. And, and not only on my behalf, but everybody that's with me. And greet all of those 
in the name of those Christians in Caesar's household. Greetings from the people, the Christians in Caesar's household say hello. So what this is evidence of is that the gospel in Rome is expanding during the time of Paul's imprisonment. So not only is the gospel taking root in the church of Philippi, not only is the church of Philippians, the Philippian church expanding, but you also see that God is using Paul's imprisonment to expand the kingdom in what was formerly a hostile Roman empire towards Christianity. So with that as the end of our text, let's jump back to verse 10. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul begins his final words to the Philippians with more rejoicing. This time he's saying that he is actually rejoicing greatly. He is rejoicing because the Philippian church has been faithful to continue or rather renew their financial partnership with Paul's ministry. The impetus behind this, the driving force behind Paul's rejoicing is that the church is bearing fruit, that they are being obedient to the calling of Jesus on their lives, which as Christians... That ought to be the goal for us, that we are faithful and obedient to Jesus. Paul is thanking them for their faithfulness, but then he says that while he's thankful for them, ultimately God is his provider. And Paul has learned this through circumstances. He's saying that in whatever situation he has found himself in, he can be content. So if you consider the life of Paul, he has been in the presence of wealthy people like the woman Lydia in this church of Philippi. He has been wined and dined by wealthy people. He has experienced great wealth himself as a former Pharisee. But also if you look at 2 Corinthians, Paul has experienced extreme poverty. He's experienced extreme hardships. He has been near death Many times. He's been shipwrecked, floating along at sea for several days, a couple days at least. He has experienced persecution from the Jews to the point where they tried to kill him. He has experienced persecution from other non Christian groups to the point where they tried to kill him. He's experienced nakedness and hunger. And yet he says he's content. He is writing from a Roman prison, and he says, I'm content. Verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul rejects the philosophies of the day, both his day and our day, that the secret to contentment, the secret to happiness is found in self sufficiency, or it's found in our possessions, or it's found in money. The goal of this life is not you. 
It's not you and your happiness first and foremost. The goal is Christ and his glory. So listen. Would you make yourself the goal? Like the chief end of your life is your happiness, your pleasure, your bank account, your whatever. If you make yourself the goal of your life, you will never be satisfied. And you will never be content. Because when you look around you, there is always someone with more. And there's always someone with better, a better car, a nicer house, someone who takes a more legit vacation than you, someone who lives in a better place than you, someone who has more money or a better body or whatever else, and we are never satisfied. But Paul is calling us to contentment. And Christian contentment is about believing that Christ is enough for you. Christian contentment is about believing that Christ is enough for you. Contentment isn't anchored or tied to your circumstances. It's anchored in Christ's resurrection, which has completed the payment of the penalty of sin through the death of Jesus. This Jesus who lived the life that you should have lived, that we should have lived, but didn't and couldn't and wouldn't. And then this Jesus died the death that we deserved. He died in our place. So therefore, Christians, we ought to be content because while everything else in this world and in our life changes and shifts, Christ is unchanging. Paul's contentment wasn't increased or decreased based on material possessions. More stuff doesn't bring more fulfillment. And also, less stuff doesn't bring more fulfillment. What brings fulfillment is a relationship with Jesus who says he is enough for you. And it's tempting, it's so tempting to think that if our circumstances would change, if our circumstances, if this thing would just change and not be a part of my life, if, this, if God would take this away from me, then my joy would increase. And I think it's okay to want a different set of circumstances sometimes. It's okay to pray and ask God to remove something, whatever it is for you. It's okay. But it's also okay for God in his infinite wisdom to have us right where we're at. To have us right where we're at with our finances, with our job or with whatever else. It's okay for God to put us in these places in order to teach us how to be faithfully dependent on him. If our circumstances don't change, but we learn about the nature and character of Jesus, and we learn to depend on him, and our faith increases... 
then that would be so much better than just merely having a comfortable, pain-free existence. What Paul means when he says that we can do all things through him who strengthens us is that we can endure. We can endure. We can suffer in faithful dependency. We can endure the hardships of life. We can persevere in our situations because he is with us through his Holy Spirit. God is equipping us for endurance. And listen, you can only learn contentment as you learn to follow Jesus. Jesus is who we need. Nothing else will ever truly satisfy you. The source of your contentment is not better stuff or more money. It's your relationship with Christ. So it can be said that regardless of your circumstances, you can either rest in the completed work of Jesus on your behalf, you can think about the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus to you, or you can wallow in pity and complaint and greed or whatever else. And all of these are forms of discontentment. In order for you to be content, you must commune with Jesus. In order for you to be content, you must have a relationship with Christ because he is your strength. Are you characterized by contentment? Are you characterized by contentment or are you characterized by chronic discontentment? Chronic complaint, always wanting something better, always concerned about what's next, never satisfied with what God has given you right just now? Are you characterized by chronic discontentment? If you're in that latter category, I'd ask you to consider your relationship to Jesus. Are you abiding daily with Christ? Verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is saying, I know. I know what it's like to be in need. And yet God is my provider. But also, Philippians, thank you so much for your concern for me. So Paul then switches from contentment to financial giving to the church. Paul is highlighting that the Philippians and their financial partnership exist, and he is saying that you cannot separate, listen to me, church full of young people, uh, 
You cannot separate financial giving and gospel partnership. Tony Marita says, if you aren't giving, you are not a partner. You're more like a customer or a consumer. But Paul doesn't view the Philippians as customers or consumers. He views them as co-laborers. They have put skin in the game. Even though many of them weren't wealthy, they had earned a reputation for giving sacrificially and generously and cheerfully to support the mission of God. So at Redeemer Church, we ask you as members to give. We ask you to give faithfully, generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully. We don't ask for a percentage of your income, because that would be legalistic of us. Your giving, though, should be active, and it should be voluntary, but also Hear me, Christians in 2023, it should be sacrificial. And here's why, here's why we land here. I grew up in a church that was pretty traditional, and we would sing these old hymns, which I love. Uh, once a month for the invitation, the altar call that the pastor would do, we'd stand up as a church and we'd sing, Jesus paid it all. And the song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. We don't ask you to give because the church is in need. But we ask you to give because you have been given so much in Christ. Giving back to the Lord affirms a posture of thankfulness in you. Paul qualifies their giving with fruitfulness. Paul is not after their money. He's concerned with their souls. Paul desires that all Christians bear fruit in Jesus, and Paul wants them to grow spiritually. And one of the scariest things you can do is give your money away. Because when you do so, you are acknowledging that you are giving. And in your giving, you are dependent upon the Lord to sustain you. I had two different conversations with two different people this week who expressed the desire to give 10% of their income to the church. And while I think that is a great goal, and I, won't, I, I think that's an awesome goal, I am certain that if most of us look at our giving on these terms, we'll probably never reach that goal. And here's why I think that. We feel entitled to our lifestyles. We feel entitled to this car. Or this credit card debt. And I feel entitled to live in this giant cliche of trying to make myself look like everybody else. And to have what they have. And this giant cliche of not wanting to be left out. The goal isn't 10%. The Lord isn't after 10% of your money. Because it all belongs to him. 
the Lord is most concerned with your heart. And what a heart postured towards a love of money says about where you're at is that when your heart is tied to your money, it shows where your trust really is and where your trust really lies. And so if you are unwilling to take steps of faith now in any specific area, but certainly financially, if you aren't being faithfully faithful in your finances now, apart from a work of the Holy Spirit on your life, you will then continue to rob yourself of a blessing of faithful obedience to God. Because if you aren't taking steps of faith now, if you aren't taking steps of faith now financially, you are functionally communicating that you are unwilling and or unable to release your death grip on your money. And again, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will likely remain in that way. Because we love our money, and we think it provides security for us, and that is a false security. You are functionally communicating. You are functionally communicating that you may trust God in some areas of your life, but not fully with your money. And when you aren't fully trusting God with your money... You are claiming lordship over your life. You are claiming that you are the God of your finances. And if you are anxious about your money and you aren't being faithful with it, I'd lovingly like to submit to you that this is God's gift to you. Asking you and leading you to trust him. To trust him with it all. And most of us would look at our lives and think, we're not greedy. I'm not greedy. But let's just take an honest assessment of our lives and consider our relationship with our money and with our stuff. And I don't want to throw stones because I am greedy too. But when we are consumed with debt, that is saying that what I have is not enough for me. When we budget with no concern for the mission of God, we are consumers. The pastoral plea from the Apostle Paul and from me this morning is that we would be faithful in every area of our lives, and that includes financial stewardship. That when you consider that old hymn that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, you'd really believe and function like we do really owe everything in our lives to Jesus because of what he's done for us. Sacrificial giving pleases God. Sacrificial giving pleases God and is actually a means of worship. So Christian... Do you desire to please God? If the answer is yes, and I sure hope it is, Christian, if the answer is yes, then be faithful to the calling he has placed on your life through faith. 
worship God with the sum total of your life, you don't have to give. You get to give. And if I can help alleviate fear, because again, I know it's scary. If I can help alleviate fear, look at what Paul says next. Verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, God is your provider. If you are a Christian, then you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, then God cares for you. And if God cares for you, he will meet every need that you have. Every single one. This isn't a promise for more stuff. Especially things you think you need but really don't. This isn't a promise for more stuff. This is a promise for the things that you need. God will provide us with everything we need. Every material need that we have. Let me tell you a story. When Kendra and I first got married, uh, it was 2009, she was working at a high-end residential interior design firm in Dallas. And by high end, I mean she was designing like lake houses and cabanas on islands in the Bahamas for people whose net worths were in the eight to ten figure range. And I was a part-time youth pastor at, uh, and a full-time student at a little church that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, pour one out. We were newlyweds in a really hard time economically in this country. The housing bubble had just burst and people were losing their jobs left and right. And my sweet wife gets laid off about six weeks after we got married. And we had to figure out, as a young married couple in our early 20s, how to live on $236 a week. There were moments, I remember, there were moments that we had paid off all of our bills paid all of our bills for the month, including some really dumb ones like cable TV, which I thought we needed. I probably still have subscriptions that I don't need. Like that's, And we'd have like $15 in our account and 25% of a loaf of bread that could go bad at any moment until I got paid the following week. And then I just, I don't know, something would lead me, go check the mail. And without fail, there would be a check from my grandfather. This happened multiple times. There would be a check from my grandfather with a little letter in it telling us that we were on his mind. So we'd go to the grocery store, and we'd eat that week, and we'd run it back and do it all over again. Never, ever once having to go without and content with our circumstances financially. We weren't saving a ton, but we had what we needed because God is our provider. 
I have a bunch of stories like that. Uh, in 2017, I started raising support for my church planning residency with the Redeemer Network. I was working at another church that doesn't exist anymore, and my income at that church I was working at was getting cut in half. And 12 months later, that half would be cut to nothing. So I had to raise support and figure out a way to provide for my growing family. And two things happened. People gave to the mission of God. And I was offered a little side gig managing rental properties. And somehow, in a really uncertain financial time for my family and I, I got a raise just through that. Just the Lord provided. The Lord has time and time again shown himself to be my provider. And I've experienced some financial hardships. And I can tell you that the Lord does give abundantly more than we can even ask or think about. The Lord's past faithfulness to me demands my present trust. But in order, and this is important, in order for the Lord to prove himself faithful, especially about our finances, it may require us taking steps of faith and obedience and allowing him to work in our lives. You may be super anxious about your money. And if so, you're not alone. But the invitation from God is not fear and anxiety, but peace. And God has given us his word so we can fight that fear with God's promises to us. And the Lord has given us people who can help us be disciplined and help keep us accountable with our money, which is what we all need. But more importantly than your money is the state of your soul. God sees you right where you're at. And if you're a Christian, God looks at you and sees his masterpiece. And he loves you. The calling is to fix your eyes on the cross. Our biggest problems in this life are not financial. They are spiritual. And God has fixed our greatest problem. He gave us Jesus his own son, the perfect, final, and pleasing sacrifice. He has provided us with salvation through himself so he can provide for our daily bread. Jesus knows how to good, give good gifts to his children. He has provided us life. So we can give in faith and dependency because God is for us. We can give confidently and acknowledge that it's only by the grace of Jesus that we can give and worship. Jesus has provided for our eternities. He will certainly provide for our todays. So here's a couple of questions to consider. The invitation for you is to examine your life. Are you a lover of money? Are you a lover of money? 
Do you love your money, your stuff, your lifestyle more than you love Christ? If yes, the invitation is to repent and rest. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no fear. There's rest. And you can rest in the fulfillment of the promise that God made at the beginning, which was to create a way for us to have life abundantly. If you're a member of Redeemer, are you giving? Are you giving faithfully, consistently, generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully? And if not, why not? What are you not believing about who God says he is? But again, more importantly, do you believe that the cross and resurrection is enough for you? Are you living a life out of fear and guilt? Are you living a life marked by contentment? Are you living a life marked by complaining or rejoicing? Confess those things to Jesus in faith and independency and cling to the promises of God who is your provider. God is for you. I think some of you really need to hear that again. God is for you. God is not withholding good gifts from you if you are a believer. But if you are struggling, I'd like to gently submit that he is trying to draw you into himself. Which is the greatest gift that he offers you? He offers you himself. What if we replaced our fear and discontentment with trust? What if we replaced our complaint with prayer? Let's cling to the promises of Jesus, who went to the cross to rescue and redeem our souls. And let's cling to the promises of Jesus to give us everything we need yesterday, today, and tomorrow for all eternity. Let's pray.